Alright, welcome back to Catalogs and Noise. My name is Joe, I'm here with Josh, Tom, Barbara. Today we are talking about Love Man by Otis Redding, the third posthumous album, the penultimate album altogether. Well, I guess if we're not counting uh, compilations and vast numbers of live albums and such like that. Um, wh- what are your general impressions of all this? Love Man business. <laughs> I liked it. Yeah, me too. I mean, I think it's a it's a fun album. Uh, you know, the the weak tracks are uh, you know still have something decent about them. I don't think it coheres as as great as as greatly as like uh, the immortal Otis Redding, which yeah. felt like an album. But uh, if this were released as a collection of like uh, outtakes and B sides, I would be astounded that this is the stuff that's left on the the cutting room floor because it's there's a lot of really great stuff and and some pretty good stuff. All right, you're kind of with me. So I was thinking, I was thinking about Love Man and Tell the Truth as kind of B sides more than I was albums, right? That like coming into it, and I don't know those albums at all until we've really done this. Like I, I don't think I've heard any of the songs except for Love Man, I think, um, and another one, but I'll get to that later. But the um, yeah, I, I think I've come to appreciate them more as albums. You know, taking for granted that Otis Redding was not alive to. Mm-hmm you know, uh, sequence them and all of this, but uh, there's a lot of charming shit on here that I was surprised. I think um, this is maybe a little more successful than Tell the Truth, which we're going to get to next time. But but yeah, I mean, I think they're towards the weaker end of the Otis collection, of course. You know, obviously we're getting to the cuts that did not make the first two posthumous records. So, you know, you're going deeper into things that aren't obviously hits or commercial ready, I think, but... Um, With a few exceptions. I think there are a couple cuts on this that are as good as the best songs on the posthumous albums. Mm, the best songs? Yeah. Like Dock of the Bay and... The, okay, Dock of the Bay is special. Yeah, I would put a... Really? I'd put Direct Me up there with Hard to Handle. Whoa! Yeah. That is, a, that is bold. I wouldn't... But, um... Yeah, so I... The, the only thing that's holding me back from saying that this is, like, a really, like, strong, cohesive album like Immortal Otis Redding is is that I don't think there's anything that stands out that says this is like a hit single, this yeah. is like an anchor to some kind of overall sense of the album. I actually think it's most like um, uh, the second album, Otis Redding Sings... Soul Ballads. Soul Ballads. Yeah. Um, that has Mr. Pitiful, but we, we think we made the point without Mr. Pitiful, it was a lot of just kind of like B-side quality heavy songs I kind of feel this way too I'm with you on that it's just in addition to the Mr. Pitiful song which for me is direct me I think Love Man is great too that's a obvious single as well I don't know if it's I mean it's good I don't know if it's like an obvious single but it's um, <laughs> I think you're I, underselling I, both those songs so alright so I think um, I think there's a lot of like weird interesting stuff on the in these songs individually uh, you know what I mean but I don't know there's nothing that really I can hear being played on the radio in 1968, you know, that's, that's going to like, you know, force him to a new level. You know, the, the way that I think uh, Immortal and Doc of the Bay did have those things on them, you know? Tom, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I've been silent for the first 15 minutes of this. Well, first Green of all, <laughs> I mean, for me at this point in time, I am a little, I have Otis fatigue. So, since we're coming down yeah, to yeah, the yeah. end, that is definitely an issue. On um, the last album, 
I mentioned I liked how uh, I was really into the first side, and then I felt, and then I think I argued with the two of you that the second side fell apart. For me, if you took some of the more upbeat songs from this album and put them in the second side of Immortal, I think Immortal would be a masterpiece. So that, that was one I thing I was that. thinking when I was listening to all this. Um, I am surprised, uh, and said the same thing about Immortal, how many songs Otis wrote. And Tons, right? After, or during, or right after the throat surgery, I think it said that he wrote something like, you know, 30-something songs in two weeks or whatever. And it's all coming out here. And there, I, I mean, nothing jumps out. Like, once again, it's not Dock of the Bay or, for me, Hard to Handle because those two seem to be unique from other Otis things beforehand. So there's nothing like that in here. You have all of the, and I, I made a list of all the things that are seems to be generic to Otis song. You know, <laughs> um, uh, singing nonsense in lieu of lyrics. He's got that a couple t- times. Yeah. You know, the, the fa 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 dum 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 type type of thing. And even like the scatty gotta gotta. Yeah, gotta got well, that, yeah. That's the uh, the, the uh, as uh, Rimbowski said the the Otis paroxysms yeah. of sorts. <laughs> Um, gratitude songs, apology songs, mm-hmm. covering songs that are recent tar- chart toppers, self-referential statements in it, things that are kind of strut, kind of happy songs, heart-wrenching songs, the more rocking ones, professions of dedication, and on most of the songs, of course, it's fading out, but it sounds like Otis is going to sing the song for another 10 minutes mm-hmm. after the, you know, the recording is, is, has stopped. What were you going to say? I was just say, Tom just defined uh, soul music in, uh, <laughs> like in, in, in cliches. <laughs> Sorry about that. So with that being said, there's nothing like extraordinary, but there's, there's things that I really liked on the album. I think Cropper does a couple of, of unique things with guitars yes, uh, from time to time yeah. that I didn't hear, I think, the first couple of listens. And then when I plug the headphones in tight and, and crank it up loud, I, I, I definitely heard it. And then surprisingly, I really liked the covers at the end, which we, I guess we'll, we'll talk about. I was really surprised that I thought the album finished out strong. And we'll talk a little bit about the, uh, the, the last song, which is sort of like a hang on sloopy <laughs> sort of imitation. But go on. So I, I have a technical question. Could, I, got this, I, I don't even know if I can pinpoint any particular song, but I get a sense that some of these songs on this album, and a little bit on Tell, Tell the Truth as well, are kind of unfunished. Yes. Yes. Groovin time. Groovin like so. I, I like Groovin time Groovin a lot. Time but it sounds raw. It sounds like a almost like a demo. I don't know if they ever cut demos, but it, it sounds yes. like it's it's something that wasn't polished. I think the first track sounds, uh, even though it sounds finished, it sounds like it was. It just sounds like a different recording session. I know all of these were probably from you know, the same recording sessions, but there's some, usually like Immortal, everything sounded like it could have been recorded on the same day, right, even right, if it right. weren't. Whereas this, and having now listened to Tell the Truth a couple times, it does feel like some, some things, there's something, it's not like a flaw, just they sound different. Groove in Time, though, does sound markedly rough. I like that about it, but it's it almost sounds like it was a live recording of... Right. Yeah, you know, like them performing in a club with really good sound. So you're saying this is like a production issue? Yeah, it's, I it, think so. There's a different, you know, it, because all these songs are from those same sessions. Right, they should sound more cohesive than they do on this album. Yeah, yeah. I'm a changed man. The the song and instrumentation does not sound different than what we've heard before. Oh. But there's some. No, I, oh, I think it does. Really, I but I think oh, that yeah. I was going to say the production sounds different to me. Huh. 
Uh, see, I think that's one of those. So I guess let's get into it with the yeah. song about I'm a changed man. But it's that's one of those songs that I thought was doing something unique. I, I yeah. see that as I think a lot of these songs have the beginnings of a new Otis kind of sound, but doesn't seem to like come to fruition the way that Dock of the Bay did. Mm-hmm. Now, Dock of the Bay was special, and maybe Cropper Spade spent some special attention on that because he knew it was a hit and kind of you know rounded out the production mm-hmm. in a way he did in some of these other ones. But I think like so think about the um the kind of vibrating horn that element. is different, yeah. It, That's it, very strange. Or organ. I, I couldn't tell really what it is. It's like a tremulous thing that so, almost sounds like a synthesizer. It right? reminded me of what Cropper was doing with guitar on These Arms of Mine yeah. back, you know, from the first album. That kind of, like, that was like a Spanish guitar kind of, you like, You mean formato. the tremolo guitar, yeah. Tremolo guitar. I don't know the words in the right ballpark. The, you know, but I, I feel like he's trying to like, make the horns do that here. Mm-hmm. That, you know, and... Uh, I don't think that is not traditional R and B sound. No, no, I'm I'm with you on that. Yeah, that's and what I meant. Like as far as the production technique, the song itself though doesn't surprise me in a new direction. Like I think uh, Dock of the Bay does. You know, I'm, no, I'm talking, my right. argument was the production sounds different. Yeah, no, I'm saying some of the instrumentation is seems to be going in a new direction. I feel like there's a lot of experimentation on these songs, particularly. That isn't really getting, I guess, the production, you know, kind of, kind of run through, mm-hmm. getting it, getting it all kind of fleshed out for the album. Yeah, something like that. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to like make it all work out. But I'm a changed man. I think it goes in the category of like, you know, like '70s funk feel in a lot of ways. You know, that that it doesn't really sound like a, a 1968 song. It sounds like a '72, '73 song. I think others push more in that direction, but I'm with you. I, I see. I see. I guess maybe because we've already heard pushing in those directions on the prior two mm-hmm. posthumous records that maybe that's why I'm not giving it a fair shake in being innovative mm-hmm. because we've already heard it with the prior two records. But if they're all from the same sessions, yeah, it's just as forward looking. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I this is one of my favorite songs on this album. I think it has like a lot of pep, a lot of like, you know, kind of in your face, you know, fun. Um, I still don't think that this would be, you know, a standalone single that would make any headway, you know what I mean? But there, there's a lot of interesting things going on. I, I felt like the, the piano line, like, you get that first kind of blast, right? And then you get this, like, weird, jaunty little piano line that almost sounded like Vince Guaraldi Peanutsy to me, <laughs> right? You're, you're, I'm telling you, listen back. And they, they don't seem like they should go together yeah. at all. It seems like two different songs mashed yeah. up. But I don't know, it was kind of charming. Yeah. And I think the first couple times I listened to this record, I was a little off-putting. Yeah. And by like round three or four, I was like into it. And yeah. like, you know, like like really thinking about like how these how these different elements were working and it, it's strange. You it's know? a kick-ass opener. You know, I, I, yeah, I listen yeah. to these albums mostly when I run and, you know, put this on the start it's when I'm throwing open the door and I've got a lot of energy running out of my building it's perfect yeah. the, um, well, him yelling he's been baptized yeah. you know, that's going to get your legs moving even uh, more so the idea a of a reaper coming down line yeah, yeah. Um, and, and you know most of these albums open up with a mid-tempo or a, or a ballad yeah. you know th- this is a little different in that regard has any other album opened up with a Kind of stomper like this. Carl and uh, Carla and uh, oh, Otis, right. uh, okay. knock on wood. Yeah, knock on wood. That, that's right. That might be it. Um, yeah, I, I kind of do like that. It's a little bit different in terms of uh, creating the album itself. 
Um, one more thing that's happening a lot in this album is almost every song, every upbeat song has that kind of like breakdown session mm-hmm. where instruments are going to drop out, different yeah. instruments are going to stay in, and which I, I think is more 70s sounding than 60s sounding when you think about traditional R&B. And, um, and I think that's what makes it a little forward looking to me as well. Um, but yeah, overall, this is, this is a pretty interesting. The, um, like, like the first time where, or maybe it's the second time where he does the yaya section, he's almost like alone and echoey. Like, I think that's like such a cool effect that he's creating here. It's definitely unlike, I mean, I know Tom, you categorize that in the uh, nonsense stuff, but it's, it's very different for me than fa 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 or uh, dum dum. I mean, it's, it's unhinged. It's words you're not using from the dictionary. Yeah, no, it works, it works with the Otis... It's a, uh, it's a placeholder for It lyrics. works with the Otis Bingo game, but yeah. I'm just saying it is different. Like, the first time I heard that, it, it was kind of a shock. Hey, can you guys sense in uh, in the last couple albums and then this one, and because and I, I wrote this down for this song, that his voice does sound scratchier? Post, you're getting that sense yeah. and more gravel. Well, I, I think you you already heard that like hard to handle. You hear that in the yeah, definitely hear it. Yeah, this there, song, I, yeah. I I all of a sudden you know, it's one of my favorite things in in one of my favorite songs. Direct me, like I love how scratchy his voice sounds mm-hmm. in that. And I, I I think I had asked earlier when we started doing Dock of the Bay, you know, is this is this sound that we hadn't really heard so much? Is that a product product of his you know post surgery? But there's enough other songs where he sings with a you know full throat and it's not as scratchy, so I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't, I hadn't thought of it, but I think you're right. I also, I, I'm trying hard not to think of the like the songs on this album as coming out like a year after. It's hard, right? Those, right? Yeah. You know, because you want to naturally do that because of chronology, but you know, who knows? You know, it could be that we're getting like the songs that were done, like, because this was like a three-week marathon. All of these songs were recorded together. It could just be like the fatigue of like yeah, yeah, yeah. several days in a row of just recording, yeah. recording, you know? Yeah. And he's not, even his ballads are probably hard to sing, right? Because yeah. there's, you know, all kinds of vocal gymnastics going on. Yeah, on the, um, the back of uh, the LP for Tell the Truth, I don't have Love Venice, the only one I don't have a vinyl, but Tell the Truth has Cropper almost doing this like... Um, it's like look back at his time with Otis, and he focuses most on how, how like what a hard worker he was. Yeah. The idea that like that like he more than anybody was like this not really a taskmaster, but but just driving like people to like let's do it again, let's do it again. You know? Yeah, I think when we did Dock of the Bay, I, I ran through what 1967 was like for Otis and how Dock yeah, of the Bay yeah, is yeah. the culmination of it, and you know whether he was he toured, he wrote, albums came out. Uh, you know, he goes into the studio. It's and the fact that all of this is coming immediately after a throat surgery, and 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 they have enough stacks has enough to just keep releasing things for you know for the next yeah. like year and a half or whatever. It is pretty amazing. So I mean, he had so, an, an incredible work ethic. He's recording as though he knows the end is nigh, even though he doesn't know the end <laughs> is nigh. Yeah. It's, it's so it's hard true. not to read into that. It's true. All right, a couple more things on I'm a Changed Man. Um, I was trying to make sense of, of the lyrics. All right, so even before we get to that, a couple more things. I think, I don't love all the music on this album. I think some of it's a little bit corny, a little bit kind of like phoned in. I think some of, even in some of those songs, the lyrics seem to be getting a little more sophisticated, right? I think this yeah, is a kind of a sophisticated lyrical song here, right? It, it looks like it's just going to be some kind of like, 
like bragging, like, you know, you know, take me back baby song or something like that. But there's something else, right? I, Tom mentioned before, like, I've been baptized, you get all this kind of metamorphosis imagery and all of that. But number one, I think there is always a sense because he's being so forthright and strident about all this that we're supposed to be skeptical about it, you know? So there is that kind of like tension, I think, in his delivery of the lyrics, which I think is very interesting. Um, but there's also these kind of like rhetorical flares, like he's trying to convince her that he's changed man. Mm-hmm. I don't think he even really believes it, even on a service level. Like the lyric was, picture a man that's blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. You know, y- you don't say that. Like you don't have to paint a picture if the guy's standing right there. Yeah. It- it's somebody that's almost like devious in terms of his rhetorical, like, take me back, baby, stance. And then going along with that, he kind of sabotages when he, he's got all these, you know, strident, you know, epiphanies, right? <laughs> right, And right. he goes, you gave me pants, you gave me clothes. You know, it's, I guess you could take it like, you know, the hierarchy of needs, like you fed and clothed <laughs> me, but I think, you know, to me, it just kind of takes me out of it in a humorous way when I first heard him say that I was like is that really what he's saying yeah so there could be a little bit of wink wink here I, I there's almost like a passive aggressive like like snarl on a lot of these songs I, I'll give you another example um that's a good idea which is a song I really like right um it, when he he talks about um uh you know what uh you want to go to the drugstore you want to yeah. make love that's a good idea yeah. like alright if you really I, think about yeah. it, think about that like, if everything's a good idea, then you're not even listening to her anymore, right? All you want to do is it's, just get in her good graces. Yeah, I couldn't or, figure out if it was a gratitude song or a capitulation song. Right. It's oh. like waving a white flag it's of a, a relationship. It's a rhetoric song. It's just like, you know, I, I'm going to, like, work my magic and say whatever to get you to take me back or to love me or whatever it is, you know? To me, it just makes all those things sound sexy because ultimately it's about kicking off the shoes in that song, right? Oh, like, no, I no, think, absolutely. But you're right, and, and that comes at the end of the song, too. So it's the same kind of thing, yeah. like, well, <laughs> yeah. you want to go shopping, that's a good idea. And, and it's playful, and it's like, it's humorous, but yeah, it's, it's like a smart humor. Like, yeah. I, I was really taken with a lot of the lyrics on this album. Yeah, I, I, mean, I mean, look, this is towards, I, I made a list, I, I felt like comfortable now making a list of like, where I rank these albums, and you know, this and Tell the Truth are at the end, but I'm still delighted by them. Yeah. You know, I read somewhere that he didn't like doing songs that had a lot of text. I think mm-hmm. he uses yeah, that yeah, phrase. Yeah. And uh, when asked if he was going to cover a particular <laughs> Dylan song, like that was his comment. Oh, right, yeah. Do it. yeah. I think right. It was like something generic I read on the Wikipedia page. And in the earlier albums, first of all, he's not writing a heck of a lot. And then second, he seems to be governed by, uh, you know, economy of words. So it does take him time, a lot of time, I think, to get to this point. And remember, he just turned 26 when he's writing these <laughs> things. Crazy. That he can now, you know, uh, you know, pack a lot of punch in all of these, you know, uh, rather, uh, you know, limited amount of, uh, of of words in the yeah. text. So you're you're thinking as he the career goes on, there's more lyrics. No, well, you know, think about how many artists say something at the beginning of their career and yeah, eventually yeah. they break their own creed sure. and become something else. I think. Well, at this point in time, I, I, I doubt that he wants to sort of, you know, sing something, just say you know, Bob Dylan in my head, you know, subterranean homesick blues or something. But at the same time, um, you know, he's making each word maybe count a little bit more. I, and I he's, like pr- he's probably about to stretch outside of the self-imposed strictures that he's set on himself. Because yeah. inevitably he has to go in that direction. He has to 
keep experimenting because he attributes it to a good blues song is simple and that's yeah. what I wanted to do. He's eventually going to crack out of the blues mold, so he's going to have to break that uh, uh, promise. And then even more, but beyond just like the expansiveness and concision, just even dealing with abstract ideas in abstract ways, which is not something that you would usually see in like an R&B song. So like, like Dock, Dock of the Bay, Bay is, exactly. is the prime example. Yeah. And that's the one that we know was recorded three days mm-hmm. before the plane crash. So, you know, assuming, presuming that there were other things recorded that day, it's just, it's one of those things that almost seems like a, a religious experience that that was possibly yeah. the very last thing he recorded. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I don't think this is like abstract in the same way or a good idea. I think they're more like, I don't know, more like maybe character based, more thoughtful about like clever the delivery and, 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 and the multiple interpretations and possibly having, you know, multiple readings yeah. of simple sounding lyrics. Yeah. And, and going back, uh, Tom said something about, um, you know, kind of moving out of the mold of like traditional R&B. I think there's evidence of that on this album as well mm-hmm. with Love Man. We'll get back to that, though. So I don't want to lose that thought. Um, but yeah, I think it's a, it's a good start. It's a good start to to the album. I'll, I'll make a. I don't know who's going to agree with this. I think Higher and Higher is the least successful Otis cover in the whole the whole uh, catalog, as far as I, I can tell. I might be with you on that. I have yeah? to go back and All listen. Right. But uh, I, I, yeah, this one more than any other song, I think, reveals his weakness as a vocalist, which I know sounds like blasphemy. But I agree. one one thing that he's not, uh, if you had to pick on him for one thing. He, he's not always on pitch and it doesn't usually matter. Like he yeah. usually nails it enough that it's, it doesn't, you're not even thinking about pitch. Here he's doing all kinds of things like trying to sound as beautiful as Jackie Wilson okay. and yeah, it, it just it ain't going to happen. Like he doesn't try to imitate Sam Cooke. He does his own no, thing. Right. Here he's doing things that just are unnecessary. I don't like the song. I, I love the Jackie Wilson. Jackie Wilson song's wonderful. But, you know, I don't, I don't, I usually like Otis's covers enough to like them as songs. I don't think I would ever go back to this. I would listen to Jackie Wilson or any of a number of her. Well, definitely not the Bruce Springsteen, all-star, Billy <laughs> Joel, and John Fogarty. And, uh, <laughs> I listen to that, too. <laughs> I'd rather listen to Rita Coolidge than that. Yeah. Um, all right. So when he first comes on, right, I think there's only, like, a bass behind him. Yeah. And it, mm-hmm. Like, it's kind of like a caterwaul. And, like, sometimes you could say, like, all right, well, that works. You know, there's something charming about it. Here it just sounds like he's swinging for the fences and misses. Hmm. And, yeah, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't take it that way, and um, I do find it interesting that he tackles covers of songs who, of of people who have recorded it with honey smooth voices, yeah. like you know Sam Cooke and the Jackie Wilson is is another example of just you know a, a beautiful smooth voice, and maybe I should give this song another listen. I didn't really see if he was attempting to mimic them, which he obviously will fall short. I I thought he was given sort of the generic. Otis slash Stacks treatment to the song. Which Definitely musically. I think what Joe and I are talking about, there are a few, like, I don't really know what the right term is, but like glissandos or whatever, like with his voice, that clearly I think he's, I don't know if imitation is the right word, but I think he's clearly consciously reminding people, mm-hmm. maybe in like a game of like one-upsmanship, with Jackie Wilson, this song did just come out. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's August of '67. That's crazy. So, yeah, but he's done that before. Remember when we yeah. were like, oh yeah, you know, satisfaction and some of the other. Like, Louis, they, Louis, they yeah, just yeah. They, they were Tickets. just yeah. heading up the charts. And like so number one on the R&B chart. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, I, yeah. It, it's bold, but I I just don't think that technically it, it works. Yeah. You know, he just doesn't <laughs> have the. 
whatever got laid down, I think, just didn't work. I, I, this should have been on the cutting room floor. Yeah, really? I think yeah, so, too. I, I like the, I mean, it's a cool B-side. I, the, I like the cool stripped-down parts, like when, the, you know, now once down and brokenhearted, where it just cuts down to like a, you know, like a scratchy guitar and bass drum organ. <laughs> There's some cool things going on there, but... Yeah, virtually yeah. every contemporary version, even the Dell's version, which yeah. I, you know, I would prefer over this. Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, well, all right. So there's something else. Let's say that that I'm wrong, and technically it's fine. You know, I do think that there's something about the nature of the song that lends itself more to the kind of sweeter sounds of Jackie Wilson than to Otis's kind of gruff style, right? I mean, it, it's almost like a song about like the human spirit and you know and and has like kind of gospel under, underpinning well, not t- that Otis can't do that yeah, and I think he before. has done it mm-hmm. um yeah I don't because I think he takes some Sam Cooke things which is similar and kind of makes them his own but he doesn't seem to be making this his own yeah at all and that's odd considering that it's new on the charts if you want to hear Jackie Wilson just turn on the radio yeah you know that's like when this is being recorded so I don't know. I just don't think it's it's thought through. You so know? you didn't think that when you when you heard uh, the duet, like it takes two, like what, what, what's the Carla Thomas duet that he that he does? That was well. Uh, I think we were. I think we we were had the same criticism okay. yeah, there. I, 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 that we would much rather have the Motown version yeah. than uh, the Otis yeah, version. Marvin Gaye worked better. Yeah, there wasn't yeah, there wasn't that, much that that I think any of us preferred yeah. on the, the the duets album. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I did go through the. Uh, some other versions here. The Bruce Springsteen thing was uh, horrifying. Yeah, those those are never a good I, idea. These all star performances yeah. where everyone's mugging in the spotlight. Oh my god! <laughs> and uh, every it's just like it's so bloated. I like that's you know you know the it's gonna be like seven minutes too long. There's gonna be three guitar solos. Like you know, Bob Geldof is somehow involved. Always, always. <laughs> um, but Rita Coolidge uh, song was interesting. I thought, you know, for like a popsy folk kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, she slows it down. Yeah, it was slowed down a little. I thought that was all right. Um, and uh, what else? I listened to Canada Goose. Yeah. <laughs> 1970, yeah. which I'd never heard of before. It was fine. You know, it was all right. And uh, the Dells I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, I like that. It's a different, you know, different lyrics and yeah, a different feel. Like a kind of grittier yeah. kind of take on it. Uh, they were all fine, but uh, I don't think that's... Uh, I don't think you could do better than Jackie Wilson. That's like, yeah. it's like iconic and beautiful. Yeah, I like it a lot. How about the uh, end with his got to get on up? I was trying to search for other like get on ups, get on ups. Like, where oh, yeah. is that? Like, is this because uh, Sex Machine comes out just like, that's like a 66. year later or 70? Oh, okay. oh, that's 70? I think 70, yeah. At least the single is out in 70. I didn't really, really do careful research, but I think 1970. I would have said that was way earlier. Yeah. Huh. Uh, I don't know. You, so you're saying Otis created Get Up? Well, I don't know. I, I didn't do too much searching, but like when he's doing that, because at first I'm thinking, oh, is he just imitating James Brown with the got to get on up? Really? But then uh, it turns out the Otis, I think the Otis record is before, uh, again, I, I don't know. James I feel like Brown James well. Brown was doing James Brown's probably before. doing that before in yeah. other songs. So moving on. So number three, you get another upbeat number, right? I think it, it's mid tempo. It's not yeah. driving, driving. Yeah. Um, what? It's a good. That's good a good idea. idea. Yeah, yeah. I, put, yeah. I wrote down mid tempo. Yeah, not driving, but uh, but like you know, we're, these are peppier songs. Excellent yeah. song. I would say this is the best song yet. Um, I like this better than the first song. Yeah, I think they're they're comparable. I, I like think this. the uh, the like just the I mean, you're hearing different th- definitely different things. Like this is like hard to handle in like you're hearing like if this isn't hard to handle, we're on the same album. 
that would represent a totally new direction that Otis is going in. With the 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 funky break when like once you kick off your shoes, little mama, where it's like the first time we hear the word groovy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right, so that was the thing. I yeah. had. All right, and I was gonna wait till Love Man, but so when I was reading um, something about Love Man, I don't know. Somebody said that it's it's incorporating some of Otis's new interest in hippie culture, mm-hmm. right? Well, people joke. People think that the song is meant to be a joke. That is yeah. not meant to be taken like as this Lothar, not Lothari, but like a uh, you know Don Juan kind of bragging about his conquest. That's like, oh yeah, okay, I'm like Mr. Pitiful. I'm now the love yeah. man. They love me at Monterey, you know, kind of thing. Well, the character, you know, as braggadocious yeah, as it is, yeah. right? Isn't Otis right? He has long hair and fair yeah. skin. Yeah. It sounds like it's like some young hippie, yeah. that, you know, something like that. So. I was looking because I saw that I didn't know if I was really buying it all that much you know but the words like groovy and you know show up and things like that and then so I started looking in other places on the record and even in some of these other posthumous albums and yeah you know it's a real groovy idea that comes up that's not you know standard 60s R&B vernacular you know that there might be something to that you know, and I don't know why it's showing up on these songs particularly, but I did see it more on these. There are a few things, right? Like when you think of how Cropper or whoever put these albums together, sometimes there do seem to be some inter- um, internal links. Like you've got two songs that are from the perspective of a woman telling Otis, This is what I want, you better uh-huh. do this or you're out. Groove and Time being one of them, mm-hmm. and uh, I can't remember the other one, but there's another. Oh, My Baby Wrote Me a 10 Page Letter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. Another interesting lyric. Yeah. But. So. Yeah, I wonder if that was part of listening to Tell the Truth. My first thought was a lot of these songs are very bluesy songs. And I wonder if they were thinking, okay, this is kind of like the bluesy album. Yeah. That, Not no, that all of them, but it seems like there had to have been a thought process in putting these albums together. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but yeah, th- this one's good. Uh, I kept thinking of, uh, every time I saw the title, I was thinking of a uh, sugar song from Copper Blue. Yeah, yeah the, <laughs> the second song of Copper Blue, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's not the same. Not a, that's not a cover of this. But um, uh, yeah, I, I I don't know. Just just really solid. Like you know, I could see this one showing up like on a summer playlist. Yeah. Like you know, yeah. It's cool. It's it's this, it's this, this was one like, of the sexiest songs he's done. Right. Like yeah. where you actually talk about taking off the clothes and whatnot. I mean, I remember you know. My parents talking about having the single for Let's Spend the Night Together by the Rolling Stones. Now that was just insane. <laughs> but already we're, you know, kicking off shoes and whatnot. Yeah. Um, Going another, to the drugstore. Yeah. <laughs> another, uh, like, cool, like, like strong horn intro and, like, uh, the, cop, the cropper guitar riffs great on this. I, it's incredible just like really bass, well put together. Incredible bass playing at the end, too. Yeah. So I think the... We have another dud after this, though. <laughs> Do you agree? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll let nothing separate us. I, yeah. I am very, like, it just lays there. It, it fits the song number four ballad spot in Fred's Water. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. You're trying to implement the uh, smoky, sexy sax. Yeah. So uh, that really sax at the me. end, right? I, like, it's like a sax solo, like, uh, 80s style. Yeah. Like, I was like, oh, this is, like, very forward-thinking, but to a very bad forward thought, you know? <laughs> Like, like, I don't know, it's something that like you'd get on, uh, like, a Wham album or something, right? Yeah. With the... Careless I, I, Whispers. Careless, and that's exactly what I was thinking of. It's not that bad, but you can see, like, that's yeah. what they're kind of going yeah. for here, yeah. you know? Given it's kind of, like, sultry, slow thing. But it, 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 the whole thing's a cliche, I think, music and lyrics. This might be my least favorite Ozzy song I've ever heard. 
you know? And I don't know. I'd like to think that maybe some of these songs don't belong on albums. Like, you know, that if Otis had a say, he might be a little more discriminating. I was, uh, my thought was, you know, if you have an album where every single, there's no real argument that I believe it, but it's just something I was playing with. If you have an album where every single song is incredible, yeah, right. Does that in some way diminish the experience of some of the songs? I, think I listen does. to this and I, I get through this song, and then all of a sudden, out of the left or right channel of my headphones comes "Direct Me" because it's it's like split. Yeah, it's yeah. like holy shit, this is awesome. And I wonder if I like it even more because I've just gone through some that just kind because of felt like water. Yeah, yeah it, it could be. It almost works like punctuation in a beautiful sentence, yeah. right? And, and I think every great Otis album has a little of that. I just don't think like. Um, this song in particular, yeah. you know, I'll let nothing separate us, like, even lives up to those standards, you know? <laughs> what, if, like, what if you took this song and put it on one of the earlier albums? Is it is it now that you're just kind of exhausted of, of whatever this is at this yeah. point in time? Or does yeah. it just simply it's doesn't hold its own? Because... Because that was my first more. instinct. I'm like, oh, God, maybe if but I it, didn't just, you know, consume some, you know, 90 Otis songs in the last couple of weeks, maybe I would appreciate this a little bit Would better. it still have the sax at the end? <laughs> That's take, take out the sax at the end. That and then maybe awful. I don't, I'm not against saxophone in, a, like, yeah. a pop song, but it's really hard to make it yeah. work, you know? Like... It just comes off... I what, Because it's so, like, outside of what the well, rest of the band is doing by the nature of, of the timbre, right? I think because it's... You know, the roots of the, the, of the sax is coming from, like, something jazzy. Yeah, yeah. And it's just not... It's freighted with so much baggage. Like, you yeah. hear that, it's... I mean, it's, it feels like it's got more baggage than the electric guitar, because the electric guitar has so many different ways of expressing itself where the sax is going to sound like a sax no matter yeah. what yeah I don't know um, but you like Direct Me huh I love Direct Me I think it's I, fun. I think Direct Me is a forgotten classic I don't Ooh. know why this song is not anthologized I love the hell out of it well, what I found interesting is uh, Cropper's guitar work yeah. and it has a country twang it does give you a yeah. sense of like what you're going to hear in uh, the crossover country songs yeah. of the mid 70s I think so you know? yeah Totally, and and just the interplay between guitar on the left and guitar on the yeah, right is yeah. so cool. So I don't. I, this might be a little left field, but I had the same note, like a country twangy guitar. But also, there's there's a kind of like almost reggaeish beat. Yeah, well, the, the guitar with that, that that extra reverb on it really does, and that dry trebly sound. Yeah, I, I think it, it to me it's not reggae in the rhythm and in the. Like what it's going for, but definitely it feels like that production that you're thinking about, that very dry, uh, well, I'm, I'm using the word dry when in fact usually with reverb it's very wet, but there's like, I'm, trebly is what I'm going for, yeah, trebly, reverby, oh, I love cool. that. So this is one of the songs that I think like lyrically very interesting, but the music, it's fine, it, you know, I think it's just kind of mediocre, I don't I, it's weird. I will say it's weird. Like I, there's a lot of like strange elements being kind of like like collaged together. One thing also that's that's new to me in this, and maybe you guys noticed it too. There are some long instrumental breaks on this record mm -hmm. that almost right. made me think that a lot of the or some of the backing tracks might have been done post, like they done something yeah. and then maybe put Otis's vocals on it. Because, like, there's a... After he does the uh, deputy sheriff on your trail, the FBI know they won't fail, they're going to bring you back, there's this long instrumental break where there's no vocals. And, and there, it's not like there's, like, a, a guitar solo going on or yeah. something. 
I, I just made me think like, wait, I wonder if this is like a sign of uh, post production or something. It was cool. I liked it. It could be. Um, so I was thinking about the lyrics a lot. I think the lyrics are interesting. When you uh, got there. Sometimes even pop stars. Sorry, I went to I went <laughs> oh. to one of these lyric pages and I'm just looking at the lyrics of Direct Me and then they, some stupid advertisement comes popping up. Um, so in terms of lyrics, what I'm getting is that this like the rhetoric is being kind of like like religious like religious like it's a prayer to God in a sense. But when you look at it, it's more directed to a woman. But so it's directed to a woman, but almost like in this kind of like high and kind of. I don't know if it's directed to the woman per se. Who can can direct anyone? FBI, police, find my baby. Eventually, eventually we get there. But I think at first it's a it's a plea to God or a plea to the fates or whatever you want to say. It's a plea to someone that can direct him to his baby. I don't think it has to be God. But if you're thinking it's like that, it'd be some of the first religious imagery you've had. In, on an album, but it's an album that began. I've baptized. I've been changed. Right? Yeah, so right. Maybe. Well, I mean, you also have like a men from this session. You're right, right, you right. Know, right yeah. there's, there's some of that, but um, no, I thought that was interesting. How like the progression of those lyrics, right? I think we start with up, and then things aren't working. You have to go down and down. Like any authority figure, please yeah. direct me. Please direct me. But it kind of makes a mockery of those first sentiments. I think that's very yeah. clever. There's also the dark side to this too. It makes me think of like uh, the, the Beatles solid, you better run for your life. Yeah. Was run for your life. <laughs> yeah. Because the idea is she's got away because he fucked up yeah. and he needs to get her back and he's going to chain and bind her or chain and bound her as he says and he's going to use anything. The FBI, they're, they're coming after you, girl. <laughs> so it seems like this innocent love song but there's a dark side to it. He's also going to bake her a cherry cake. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so that makes up for a lot. I think he says, I'm going to bake me a cherry cake, right? Like, he's so excited oh, yeah, he's going to yeah, eat yeah. himself and, and right. he's going to yeah. have the cake. <laughs> he's not even for her. <laughs> she can't have any. Um, all right, and then we get to Love Man, which I think is a very nice ending to the first side. I like that move. I think, you know, whoever put this together is being thoughtful in yeah. terms of the progression. This does sound like an album. It really does. Yeah. Um, so... Love Man's good. I mean, I think it's like a fun, rollicking ride. It, it I think it was a little reminiscent of uh, Can't Turn You Loose in terms of just kind of like overall tone, but I just don't think yeah. it's as good. It's not as know? good as Can't Turn You yeah. Loose. Which, but, shockingly, that still surprised me. Are there any other non-album Otis Redding tracks as good as Can't Turn You Loose? Well, we'll look at them when we do an overview. Um... I don't know. That's the only that. one I can think of that's like on there greatest are, hits exist. record. No, no, but that's yeah. the only one I can think of that ends up on almost every greatest oh, hits. Yeah, that I was a live right. standard. I mean, it's yeah. That's the only one that that like didn't make an album. It's crazy, that, it's not. I thought there was one more. No, I guess not. I think it's just that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a lot of like like it's a it's a good rocker like yeah, nice it, drum roll opening. You listen, know? There's, there's nothing magical yeah. happening in it, but it does come out to. To be pretty damn good, yeah. Like, because yeah. you have your 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 changes are all very predictable. Um, I do like his cause cause the I can't even say yeah. There you go. The cause 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 for paroxysm. Yes, no, because he's actually saying words. So that's that's a that's a paroxysm like a gata 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 type of thing. You got the driving drums. You got the ascending horns coming in. But what what really is cool is in your 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 I guess your your lyrics leading into your chorus. You know. 
given your stats. Yeah. You know, six oh, feet yeah, one, yeah. two ten. You know, like that's that's uh Oh it's straight up bragging. This, yeah. is, this is like almost like a rap bragging record yeah. or something. Like I'm just I'm the Can best. Can you think of another song where someone actually references their uh their their height and weight in the nineteen sixties? <laughs> I'm sure oh in sixties? I yeah, mean I'm later sure on, you know. Plenty. But I, I like I like, you know, the read that this isn't about him necessarily. Yeah. I mean I think both are there, of course, but I like the read that like, you know, he goes in Monterey, sees the hippies and all that and and writes like almost like you know the new face of R and B and rock combined or psychedelia combined or something yeah. like that. It, it's it's not a crazy notion, right? I think there's something there. Um, so one other thing, the um, I don't think it's a horn solo in this, but I think the horn section functions like a horn solo at the end of the song. And I was like, I love it here in a way. I thought it was terrible in um, you know. Uh, the separate song, mm-hmm. separate us. Um, so it's not that you know you can't use horns. I think in some kind of like solo standalone capacity. I just think it's it, it's just done in uh, I don't know a more tasteful way here. You know, you know what I'm talking about though. I think it's technically several horns together, but they do kind of have like almost. I can't think of a solo thing. I can picture what the it's horns like, are doing. It's at like the end, kind but... of yeah. It's not exactly. But it's kind of like bridge like at the end where they come in and kind of do their own thing. You know, that isn't your standard kind of horn line. I don't know. Overall, pretty good. Pretty good. Um, all right, we move into side two. There is some kind of interesting connection between Love Man and Groovin' Time, I think, that kind of, like, bridges yeah. side one and side two. I, I, like I can't put my finger on it, but there is well, something to that. What, what's the woman going to say to her Love Man? You know, I don't want you in those Broadway funky, funky nightclubs. You know, <laughs> come, on, come on back home. Yeah. It's Groovin' Time with me. you got to groove with me. Yeah. But I do think that this does have a little bit of that like R&B hippie kind yeah. of feel too, right? You this know? also has, I mean, we talked about the raw quality of this song. Like his vocals are clipping. Like you can hear the distortion when he says it's groove. Like it's like yeah. ripping right through. Um, it's also, to me, this one sounded older because of the fact it recycles the horn riff from Security. Oh, I don't remember. Yeah, right? That that to me, like... Oh, yeah? Yeah, I'm sure I'm not the only one who's noticed that. When mm-hmm. you... That first horn break... I'm immediately thinking security is coming in. Which, so that's... Go ahead. No, I was, I, I, I was going to move off of the horns and go with the drums, because I found that the one thing that hooked me on the song were the drum pattern, how yeah. Jackson's just continuously sort of pattering away with something that's not very consistent... I love that. Yeah. Everyone's doing it though, like something different. Yeah, like okay. this, is, like yeah. that, I'm with you on that. The drums are extraordinary on this. The guitar, piano, and bass—they're all locked into this weird. Guitar's almost. low on this yeah. for some reason. But he's in there. He's in there yeah. doing this percussive thing. The bass is doing something cool. The piano's doing something cool, especially in yeah. the like the verses part. I know right what you mean. It doesn't. It's a, it's a strange arrangement. Yeah, it's, it's like a shuffle. It's another example of like this is not typical '60s R&B. There's something weird going yeah, on here. I, I wrote down in my notes the '70s are coming. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. I also make comment. It's starting to sound like you're incorporating that country crossover of the late '60s into yeah. the '70s. So elements of that are in it. I, I would say in the next song as well. You know, your feeling is mine. Yeah. Ha, like you know, I don't think that's as successful, maybe, but uh, another one where like like this doesn't. This sounds weird. Right. Yeah. For me, the so I'm thinking this is something because I thought I'd heard somewhere that there were tracks littered throughout these posthumous albums that were recorded in like 65, 66 and oh, what, really? what people must have been referring to were the holdovers that appeared on the end of Dock of the Bay 
right? Like the, the like Tramp uh-huh. oh, yeah, that, from 66 right, right. and I think 66. But So that must be it. The reason why I thought this was an older one was had nothing to do with the arrangements, just the production, right? Like that how production has that, different, But yeah. Tom's right. Like that when you listen to the way the drums are playing, like that, that could not be from any earlier session than this. Like nothing sounded like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah this, this is this is a cool track. I, I would, yeah, Groovin' Time and Your Feeling Is Mine are, I think, both like like sonically very cool sounding. Yeah, the the groove of this is speaking of groovy. Your Feeling Is Mine is is awesome. I love just the simple minor shifts. I don't know if I'm yeah. using the right term, minor and major here, you but you know what I mean. Like it just it like steps up slightly. You think it's going to a major yeah. uplifting thing, but then it hits a minor thing, which. Seems to be the whole thing. Like, you hurt my feelings, but I still love you. And such cliched ideas, but I think they come through here really well in the lyrics. I love that. You, I'm going up, down, down, up, losing weight by the pound. Yeah. I, I believe it. I think it's cool. This <laughs> one also has a really long instrumental interlude where nothing's happening. So, all right. So, when I first heard this, which was only a couple of weeks ago, I was like, what is that? I know that. And... That line, that that those first couple bars, mm-hmm. you know, that has the extended like introduction for Otis anyway, is sampled by Metal Fingers, who is MF Doom, oh, wow. on one of those instrumental records, and basically it's called um, what the hell is it called? Uh, Agrimony, and basically it's just that over and over again, and it's amazing sounding, but I mean. It's like like putting in that context, you know, that album's from like what the the early two thousands. It sounds fresh and modern then, like that's saying a lot. You know what I mean? That like I was like I couldn't believe that that was an Otis cut yeah. that was being sampled. There are a lot of tracks here that were were given you know a lot of uh, praise for that are solely written by Otis Redding. I mean that's a you lot. know what I mean? That's, I know. <laughs> it's amazing. I know yeah. we've said that many 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 times before, but it's just each time I'm looking down at the writing credits, like dude, man, and not even Cropper in some yeah. of these. Like like that seems to be all of Otis. Like yeah. well, that speaks. Which to, one? Which one are you talking? Um, you're feeling his mind. Oh, you're feeling his mind. Yeah. Okay. Right. That speaks to like how sophisticated he has become sonically by this point. You know, like yeah, it, it's pretty shocking. But check out check, all the metal fingers is great. All of them of doom is great. But uh, I love MF too. But uh, check out that particularly. Like, just check it on YouTube or something. It's cool. All right, moving on. Um, Got to get myself together is I think another song that I think is way more interesting lyrically than it is musically. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying even when like you get like this kind of traditional ho hum R and B stuff, he's still some doing something innovative here. So. My reading on it, right, so you got you start off with this, like, kind of narrative. You got the 10-page, it's a narrative of a, of a narrative, mm-hmm. right, in this letter. And then he kind of responds to it. And it's not exactly, but it's almost epistolary in terms of its kind of back and forth. You I was know? having a hard time figuring out who's who in the perspective here. Right, because there's two different sonic sounds as well, right? Because you have the kind of, like, jaunty, upbeat, him singing. And then when... She comes in as the voice of the letter. There seems to be that kind of more aggressive horn sound. Dark clouds. Dark, and, yeah. and you get the, the, the real heavy weather imagery with mm. the lightning and thunder and all of this. Um, so he's doing something really interesting mm. with that. But the um, but yeah, I, I was having trouble placing it because it's kind of a dialogue, but it doesn't match up 100%. You know? But I like I, just the attempt of it all, mm. I think, is so beyond like what standard R&B is in the 60s. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, it was, it's kind of delightful when you see all the parts come together. I was into it. Um, 
But, I mean, other than that, you know... Musically, it's kind of tread in water. Yeah. Right? Although, this would be another candidate, I think, a more successful candidate. Like, how would we think about this on an earlier record? We'd probably think... This, this is this one. Yeah. Yeah, see, this one, I think, you know, you put that on, like, this is the first or second record, I think that's blowing the doors yeah. off, you know? But, I mean, you gotta think, like, think about the evolution of music, all of pop music, between 64 and this being mm-hmm. recorded in yeah. late 67. That's enormous. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean... God, 20 years have passed, you know, since, since there's been that much innovation yeah. these days. I would know, say so. more. Yeah, so you have to take that with a grain of salt, but I think you're right. In this regard, this might suffer from just being, like, late and, and you know, flanked by genius, yeah. you know. Um, Free Me, I think, is a... I like, it, I like it better than the uh, I'll Let Nothing Separate Us. Yeah, it's better than that. Everything's better than that. I think it's... I'm tired at this point of, yeah. of the, uh, um, you know, uh, Walt's uh, slow yeah. songs where yeah. the guitar is plucking the strings yeah. I don't and think the cymbals are keeping yeah. time. I'm, I'm tired it's, it's of it. It's gospel-y and organy, but and that's it, all it's really It good. builds, you give it a crescendo, but uh, come on, I'm exhausted yeah. by it. I mean, if you're this, gonna, is, this is one of the singles. Wow. Was it really? Yeah, Free this, was Love Man, and... Uh, the last song. No, not the last the song. The last song uh, was a Lover's single. Question. Lover's really? Question was too. Yeah, it didn't chart at all, but... Huh. but yeah, I saw it was a single. Like, how is uh, how is Direct Me not a single? How is uh, Good yeah. Idea not a single, and this is? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, if you're going to do, like, a slow love battle like this, it has to be better than These Arms of Mine, at least. You know, or at least, like, striving for something. Uh, I'm, I'm going I'm to push back, because you, you keep bringing up These Arms of Mine, which I, I, I think is, so a, is a fine song. But if you put These Arms of Mine, which I know is, is from the 50s, like, that song has a 50s feel, not a 60s feel. Yeah. Strummer, Strummer's okay. Dreaming. <laughs> If you put these arms of mine on any of these later albums, you're gonna say this is a throwaway track. No. Yes, you are. These arms of mine. These arms of mine is top five Otis Redding ever. Yeah. It, it's a, It's an extraordinary. I think it's. Song. I think it's a great song. I think it's an excellent song. I don't think it's extraordinary. I mean, he's not like my. My only point was like, Free Me isn't even like trying to like get anywhere near that, you know. Yeah. And that's like old school, but you know, that song's amazing. I, I know you always had a weird thing with that song. I can't say the same thing to you. You've got a weird thing with that. I love that song. Yeah, I like that song too. Um, so we get into Lover's Question. Uh, I think it's okay. I really like the two covers at the end. I yeah. don't know why. I just really, really like I it. Like, I like the last one a lot. Uh, look at that girl I like. But um, Lover's Question, it's okay. I, I mean, I think... So I listened to a bunch of versions of it. I think... Otis is by far my favorite. Yeah. Even really? more, so even more than Clyde McFadder? Uh, McFadder? Yeah. Yeah, the yeah. Carmic Fatters, you know, it's cutesy, doo-woppy, but it, I don't know that it really moves me at all. This one then has a, a little soul behind it. Then you got a couple country versions of it. Yeah. Del Reeves yeah. in 1970 and Jackie Ward in 78. It's definitely better. Those are, those are cool, yeah. too. I like those. Yeah, they're still, fun. I think this is better. Yeah, no, those I like the Otis better than that. I like, I'd take the Clyde McFadder one first. Really? Otis is having fun. I, I, there's, like, unlike some of the other covers where it's like, oh, why are you doing that? You know, like with the Your Love is Lifting Me Higher and Higher. Um, this I think doesn't need any justification. It's fun. It's, yeah, sure. it's It's good. It doesn't do anything for me really beyond that, though. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm well, at least you're it. trying to do a modern treatment of something that came out like six or seven years yeah, prior, no. <laughs> not something that's climbing the charts as you're in the studio. Yeah, I, I don't understand that. Unless you you are practicing the one-upsmanship yeah. of well, going after your the peers. next one. I think is clearly you know a, a you know one-upsmanship or just a like an Otis version of the McCoys song. So, you know, or we still, let's stay on yeah, Lover's Question. Yeah, yeah, Lover's Question for a little bit 
more. Um, the did you hear the Jay and the Americans? Uh, there's a version of mm-hmm. that one. I thought was actually Jay and the, as in coming a little bit closer. Yeah, that was <laughs> a little bit American. interesting because it had huh. like it was very poppy, but it had like almost like a like a slightly like late sixties like psychedelia kind mm. of like edge to it. And I thought that one was pretty innovative. Cool. So yeah, check that out. But the biggest revelation of this album had nothing to do with Otis Redding. It had to do with Brooke Benton, right? Who is uh, uh, the composer of this song, of Ever's Question, I didn't know anything about, so I, I looked him up. I went on, like, a Wikipedia trail. And he wrote um, Rainy Night in Georgia. Huh? Do you know that song? Mm-hmm. Yeah. From, like, uh, what, I think it's, like, 70, 71 or something like that. And I'd forgotten all about that song. And I listened to that song, like, like a dozen times this week. And, man, is that great. Yeah. Cool. So I look. This is just Josh is dismissing it. Yeah, I cool. know. This no, just, that's not dismissive at all. It makes me want to go and listen to the song again. Exactly. I'm with you. This is just to say, like, why do we do this? Because, like, you know, yeah. you, you discover these things. It's oh, fun like, to go down these rabbit holes. Yeah. I was like, man. I was like, this is such an amazing song. How have I not been listening to this for like the last yeah. few decades of my life? Like, such a great song. I did the same thing with Burt Burns for the next track, like searching all this stuff that he wrote and whatnot. All right, so here's the deal. I didn't even know this was a cover, right? I had, right from Wikipedia, I had that Randall Stewart and Edward Morris wrote it, right? Uh-huh. And I looked, I was trying to look at other, like, uh, versions of it, couldn't find anything. I didn't look too hard, you know. Nobody else seems I to call it Look at That Girl. The, the Look at The Girl or, is out there, too. Oh, really? Okay. But that's, heard, that's a different song, I think. I don't know. Yeah, I saw, that's, that's I saw old, Look like, at The Girl yeah. attributed to Otis as well. Mm-hmm. Like It was all over the place. So when I was searching for it, I found a picture of the single, mm-hmm. and it attributes it to Otis Redding. Oh, I saw that too. That's interesting. Online. I saw that, yeah. And so I was like, then I just dismissed it as, a, like, I thought it was just a Wikipedia mistake. But you're saying, no, I'm definitively wrong. This is not. This is a cover. Yeah, my understanding. This is written by Burt Burns, same dude that wrote Twist and Shout, you know, Peace really? of my heart. Here comes the night under the then boardwalk. Why, why does Stewart and Morris get credit for this? It, and I found Randall Stewart's name somewhere else, and he was actually he was writing songs for Stacks at one point. Oh, in time. really? I, I don't know where um, I saw my, that. My songwriting credits, at least from Google Play, also back that up, saying Burt Burns and Jeff Barry are the writers. Well, I, I don't know anything about Jeff Barry. I don't know anything about any of and, so, so, so And the song, it was a McCoy song. It was written for the McCoy. Same, same. Well, he also wrote Hang On Sloopy. Yeah, Burt no. And, and, and my and, first couple of listens, yeah. what I'm thinking is like, this is part Hang On Sloopy, yeah. twist and shout. Yeah. And then I'm like, for good measure, I'm throwing in like a same Bobby d- Fuller uh, letter dance or something okay. like that. Like if you combine all the, mix them up, this yeah. is what you're getting. Those and are all good songs. Burns. <laughs> Burns wrote two of them. Possibly three. I don't know. Yeah, the, the McCoy song is I Gotta Go Back and Watch That Little Girl Dance, which is, if you listen to what the girls are singing in the song, that's what they're saying. Gotta go back and watch that little girl dance. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't sound like an Otis song. It makes sense. No. That it's a cover. I get that. No, right from the first bass notes, it does not sound yeah. like an Otis song, but I, oh man, I love it. I it's enjoy really them yeah. tremendously. Yeah. So so tell me about the covers. Are they better than, I mean, the original? Well, I only, I listen to the McCoy. It's different. It's cool. It's mid-tempo. It sounds like Hang On Sloopy. Like, you know, it's, yeah. it's so I guess what I'm saying is I so much more prefer the Otis yeah. version. Oh, cool. Yeah, the McCoy's version sounds like a bunch of white dudes uh, singing a pretty standard song, whereas Otis just kicks the doors off. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, um, th- yeah this this might be second, third favorite song on the album, I think. Um, what's up with the background uh, 
girls though, because I got no, I couldn't find the um, couldn't find any yeah, credit. No name. credit for I couldn't that find whatsoever. credit for them. Anything. Yeah, it, but it, it, it for me, it also, and I don't usually like when I have you know something like that sort of thrown out of nowhere. But it did help make the song for me. Yeah, me too. And then behind her, the horns are are given like some sort of like you know melancholic sort of descent that's different than the chords and the progressions that you're getting leading up to mm-hmm. that. So I, there was something about the mix of this it just made it a tremendous pop song not yeah, an R&B yeah, 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 song yeah, yeah. it's just a, a beautiful 1960s pop and song and you're saying this was released as a single like you said you saw a picture of it as like a, a yeah. single I'm surprised something like this doesn't I have any chart history at somewhere, all somewhere maybe it was all music or something there was a little bit of a write up of it and it said that it was released and did not chart at all interesting huh. yeah and yeah and there's evidence that it the physical disc exists yeah I don't know that, that was a, kind of a mysterious track for me but uh, a real good end to the album you know um, I almost want to ask, like, if any of these songs make your posthumous uh, uh, hypothetical album, but we're not there yet. We're going to deal with that next week. But um, it's going to be tough. I don't know that any of these make mine. i gotta, I got to think it through, but this would be a contender. So that's about it for the album. I mean, you know, even, even like... Um, I mean, you want to do the cover real quick? Because we always touch yeah, on no, the Yeah, no, yeah, I was going to get that. But even a, a mediocre um, Otis record, I think, is something to return to and, and be excited about. L- let me ask you this. Do you think there's a bet? Like, the, the only other album that we really kind of, like, were disappointed in, I think, was the duet album with Carl Thomas. Mm-hmm. Is this a better album than that? Yeah, I'm never going back to the duet album. You think this is better? Yeah, I, think, I think they're I think comparable. There, I think there are some songs on there I like, um, but I think there are other versions I just I like better. Hmm. Like the the one original track on there, the Ooh Carla, Ooh Otis, yeah, I never yeah. need to hear again. Yeah, Knock on wood, I don't know. I'm going to. I don't know if I'm going to the Otis and uh, Carla version. I'm giving this the edge. Yeah, yeah me too. I think me too. Uh, just slightly, maybe. But um, but yeah, I was. I'm surprised by that. You know that that's. I think I'm going to this over the second album. Maybe, maybe actually, yeah. I like the second album, but. You know, beyond Mr. Pitiful, there's nothing that's really, like, screaming out in terms of innovation the way yeah. this this does, you know? Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. So, yeah, the cover. You have that kind of, like, torso picture of Otis mm-hmm. in profile in nature. Autumnal, right? Because doesn't it yeah. look it yeah. looks like he's that's... wearing a coat and it looks like it's, like, leaves that have turned? So I had two ideas, right? My first idea was the... The kind of autumnal feel is a little melancholic and I think speaks nicely to a posthumous album and has a kind of reverence. Maybe not as explicitly the way we talked about Immoral Otis Redding had, you know, but it has, I think, a more nuanced, subtler version of that same kind Mm -hmm. of like like deification, which I think is is very nice. I, I like the cover a lot. And yeah, the, the fact that it's um, it's a really a non-affected photo. Yeah. There's right. really not you're not touching it up or anything. And whether it's, I got the sense that it was taken probably could have been just weeks before the crash, because it's you know cold it, outside. No, 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 no. no. So because you you know where he's all over the place. He's at, uh, in Memphis in the last week of. Um, uh, November, beginning of December, he's probably wearing that jacket. You know what I'm saying? So it's not as if, like, you know, of course, you know, he's spending the last couple of days of his life, he's, you know, flying over Wisconsin and it's, it's basically the Arctic. But I could see that picture being snapped sometimes during Thanksgiving week or something yeah, like yeah. that when he's back at the Big O Ranch or something like that. I would love to know the origin of, of the photo itself. Yeah. But that I got a sense that that was also another reason why they chose it. Probably one of the, the last, uh, you know, 
contemplative pictures. Uh, they so have sad that there's so little information about. Like, where is the information for all this stuff from the photos? Like, on like none of the records do we really know. Like, who is that on? Know. You know, Otis Blue. And so I know the new biography just came out. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. There's like uh, this big giant. It seems to be like definitive. Should we redo this whole thing? Start think, over again. I think maybe we should. Um, I, I didn't get my hands on it yet, but I plan to read it soon, and I'm hoping it gives me some of these answers, you know? I hope it's not a retread of the Rabowski thing, but who knows, you know? And the other idea I had on it was, I think it's it's Otis in nature, more like, we've never really seen that before, which kind of gives a little more credence to that kind of uh, R&B hippie kind of late Otis kind of thing. Now, again, he's not curating this, you know, who knows, but it, there's something to it, you know, it does seem to have a kind of like nature child vibe to it, mm-hmm. which I think is kind of cool. It, th- that cover, more than anything, is, I think, looking forward to like a early 70s kind of feel to it, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, because I think it's, you know, in color and kind of modern looking and all of this is not gimmicky, like the way like dictionary is or mm-hmm. something yeah. like that. Well, I, I brought up what's going on before. It, it yeah. brought that to mind because that's a photo of Marvin Gaye, even though it's a close up on the face, but the usage of using like, you know, a real photo and not making it goofy like uh, dictionary. Yeah. Which is ridiculous. But the sense, like, and, and having a figure that's, that's pensive yeah, and thoughtful. Yeah, contemplative look is very yeah. important. Yeah, so overall, I mean, you know, I, this and uh, Tell the Truth were, like, the only two albums that, like, I was completely new to, you know, never heard anything on. And so far, you know, I think I'm uh, very pre- pre- pleasantly surprised by the overall product. And uh, I got given uh, Tell the Truth a couple spins. Uh, I don't know that it's as good as this, but I think it's it's there's stuff that's worth listening to. And it, it's a shame that these albums I think are largely forgotten you know um, so alright so next week we will check out the, uh, the final album and uh, we will also uh, discuss our hypothetical posthumous Otis Redding Greatest Hits compilations see ya